The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Danger Zone, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. Bear, Unter, and Dupier, CCCP. Shut up, old bear, Untermensch said, wearily, for what felt like the hundredth time. But Laverne and Shirley are to be sturdy workers, the bear protested. Less talking, Upir replied succinctly. More shootings. Suiting her actions to words, she raised her beaten-up AK-74M to her shoulder and managed to hit the target this time. Barely. Ah, what am I to be doing wrong? The trio were practicing marksmanship this afternoon. There was a long stretch of destruction corridor behind the HQ that was close to 200 meters long and blocked in on three sides by rubble. Getting some cheap fill was easy. There was plenty of torn up ground where the reconstruction hadn't reached yet. With the fill piled at one end, the CCCP had its own private firing range. There had been one city council official that had tried to raise a fuss over it, but the commissar had had words with him. No one had bothered the CCCP after that. Most of the neighborhood residents figured that the more practice the Reds had, the better. After all, they couldn't be worse shots than most cops. Soviet, Mamona, Molotov, and Rosalka were steadily working at their targets, as was Gamayun, who was still in contact with Vicky and the Overwatch system via her implanted Overwatch rig, and who occasionally put down her rifle to mutter into it. The rest were all on patrol, or maintaining the HQ. "'If Sheriff Andy were here,' began Bear. "'Shut up, old Bear,' came the chorus. Savior and Ramona, CCCP Red Savior set a pile of papers in front of Ramona at the small desk. She offered her a wolfish grin. Soviet has cleared you for administrative duties. You would not find CCCP to be plush office with secretaries. First duties is to be filing equipment requisition and damage forms. And let me guess, this isn't even half of it, Ramona remarked dryly. Exposed metal on her fingers grated against the thin paper. A through F? Through C. C is for Chug, the commissar replied with a wag of her finger. Many things are filed under Chug for damage. Some may be filed under Chug for disposal, but is different form. The two are not to be confused, da? Da. Ramona wrinkled her nose and started to separate the pages. She noticed several pieces of office furniture as well as half of a tow truck categorized as damage, with notes mentioning Chug's insatiable appetite. Other pages described doors, tires, and depleted uranium shells. Chug would definitely need more than one folder. Bull, Bella, and Pride. Echo Campus, Training Grounds. Bella watched as Bulwark scanned his tablet, checked the time, and took in the sight of his new recruits struggling with the new obstacle course on the Echo training grounds. His movements were slow and deliberate, but constant. She smothered a sudden urge to chuckle. 
He was a closed book, this tall, sturdy, and beautiful man, but she liked to think that slowly she was beginning to understand him. It was very exciting for her to learn about someone at such a plodding and deliberate pace. Most men were so transparent, even without her ability to detect their every fleeting and often base thoughts. This time she was doing things the old-fashioned way. Maybe it was love, maybe it wasn't, but time and tentative gestures and conversations would tell, and not ruined by the abrupt mental readings she usually received by simply touching someone. Bull's head swiveled slowly down to his tablet, and he grunted. Bull suppressed another laugh. It was rare to see him so restless. "'Well, Bull, what do you think?' Bella asked. "'This lot up for some firearms training yet?' "'Are you insane?' Bulwark asked. Bella smothered a smile. "'Isn't that the misfit's battle cry?' Here she was in what should have been a practically untenable position, de facto head of Echo, an organization that was still reeling from what the invasion, Tesla's death, and Verdigree had done to it, and yet she couldn't help but keep smiling. Because things were getting better. Insane or not, things were better, and one had to acknowledge that it was, in part, due to a certain level of deviousness and unpredictability that she and her rebels had shown since someone— Someone insane, perhaps, had placed her in a position of leadership. They're in terrible shape, Bull said, shaking his head. Most of them are having trouble swinging on a simple rope over that mud pit. There's no way I'm putting lethal weapons in their hands. They're not even close. Bella felt the urge to smile fade away. Bull wasn't just restless. He was pragmatic, to be sure, but this went beyond that. She actually felt something from him. It had a tinge of bile and disgust, and it really didn't suit him. Something bothering you, big guy? We'll get there, I'm sure of it. Just look at them, you can actually see them improving on the course while we watch. It's not like you to be overly hard on your recruits. What's got that tight butt of yours in an uproar? Bull exhaled and shook his head. She's late, he muttered. Again. Aha, uh -huh, Bella thought. He was preoccupied with what seemed to be his favorite topic of conversation these days. Scope. I'm afraid she hasn't shown up for her last three appointments with Marianne, Bella offered. All she did was call Gilead and ask for her scripts to get renewed. Callsign Gilead was one of the few full MDs among the Echo Metahealer ranks. Gilead declined on the grounds that she actually has to see someone to renew that many restricted scripts. She is less herself every day, Bull sighed. Would you believe that last week I found her firearms strewn about, unchecked, and with the safety off? This is beyond troubling. He glanced again around the obstacle course. Rogers, he barked, and waited patiently as a wiry young Meta untangled himself from some netting and trotted over. Yes, sir? Rogers asked, coming to a stop and saluting smartly. You need to pick up your feet more if you want to tackle that net trap. I want to see your knees up to your waist, son. Yes, sir, Rogers answered. Have you seen Operative Scope this morning? 
Bull asked. No, sir, Roger said. But we really don't expect to see her until this afternoon, sir. And why's that, soldier? Rogers paused, clearly looking uncomfortable. Out with it, Bulwark barked. She was at normality with us last night, sir, Rogers answered. She was... she was tying one on, sir. Bull sighed and glanced at Bella. Looks like she's found an alternative for her meds. John Murdoch, CCCP John Murdoch was busy fixing the CCCP's fleet of Earls in the HQ's motor pool. Almost all of them were dinged up, with a few that were barely able to start. For some reason, the Commissar felt like this was the most appropriate job for him. He'd been slotted for it on the duty roster for a week solid, in addition to his substantial patrol schedule. The particular Earl he was working on had a shot carburetor. He was in the process of rebuilding the entire damn thing, which was annoying and dirty work. All the same, he was thankful for the routine. It helped to keep his mind at least somewhat off of the whirlwind of information that he had been flooded with since waking up. The world had been set on fire, and he was one of the few people that was trying to put it out again. Some days it felt like they were using water pistols against a forest fire. These CCCP folks, they were under-equipped, underfunded, and undermanned. There was some quiet support on those first two problems coming from contacts and friends they had in Echo. Even still, it didn't seem like enough to John. He was used to being a part of one of the most well-equipped fighting forces on the face of the planet. Despite that, these CCCP comrades were making it work, as well as they could. He had to remind himself, It's not the arrow, it's the Indian. Shiny toys and gadgets didn't matter for shit if you didn't have the skill sets and training to utilize them effectively. Back when he was still in the army, he'd had a few ops where he and his team were running light. Civvy clothes, a backpack, and an order to procure on sight. He didn't like doing things like that, too much left to chance, too many different things that could go wrong. Now, however, he was forced into that sort of situation quite regularly. Perks of your new outfit, fella. John still wasn't sure that he liked the idea of taking orders from commies, the commissar in particular. He hadn't had the best impressions of women in combat positions from his time in the service. Ranger and Delta were both all-male units, after all. Still, she seemed to have good tactical sense, even if she was a bit overzealous. Time would tell. There's a big difference between being a cop, even one with metahuman powers, and fighting a war. John was eager to see how these commies performed in a real stand-up fight. And if they can't make the grade, then this comrade is heading for greener pastures, John thought. Red, Vix, and Mel Echo Campus, Parkour Course Vicky frowned a little as she eavesdropped on the conversation between Bull and Bella. She'd known Scope was... turning into a loose cannon. But until now, since Scope had been regularly ditching her Overwatch Mark I rig, she hadn't known how bad it was getting. She was preoccupied enough that she had paused halfway up the bar-climb wall, which was made of lengths of rebar poking out at irregular intervals in a giant slab of concrete. Suddenly, her train of thought was derailed by Jeannie's upside-down face appearing in front of hers. 
pardon me, he said, his voice only slightly muffled through his scarf. Have you seen a tiny little waif of a mage around? She was supposed to meet me at the top of this here course thirty minutes ago. Sorry, shamelessly dropping eaves, Vicky apologized, without pointing out that it had only been about five minutes, not thirty. She made up for it by putting on some extra speed. Red, of course, outpaced her. He was like a gibbon. How did he do that? How do you do that? she asked, panting as she paused at the top. He flipped back into a handstand, balanced precariously on an exposed beam, and neatly toppled down to straddle the girder with his knees. From what I'm told, my grandmother had a thing for chimpanzees. Vicky pretended to consider this, then shook her head. Not likely. You're not furry enough. From what I can tell, you don't have a hair on you. You don't know me, Red objected. I'll have you know shaving is a great ritual for me. Candlelight, some Sarah McLaughlin playing in the background. Wait, just how much of my hairless me have you seen? A lot more than you think, she reflected, and suppressed a grin. Then again, privacy worn with vanity. I wonder if he forgets to turn off the camera feed on purpose. She heard something below and peered down. Here comes Mel. Oh, good. Maybe she can give you a run for your money. Red paused as they watched Mel ascend. You talked to her recently? She doing better? Vicky sighed, because to be honest, she wouldn't have been surprised if Mel was a wreck outside the bar. Mel had been in intensive care and rehab for weeks, completely missing the big push in New Mexico. Over the chaos of ousting verdigree and capturing Harmony that day in the Marta Tunnels, she had become one of the many wounded that had almost been lost in the shuffle. At least, she still lived. They had lost a few to Black Snake that day, including Paperback Rider and Frankentrain. She knew that Red still missed them, especially Ryder, who could always carry the most interesting conversations on the most obscure topics. Vicky missed them, too. She felt intense guilt over losing them, even more guilt over losing Acrobat. She'd overruled Bull, and Acrobat had died. Of course, if she hadn't overruled Bull, Harmony would have gotten away. Mel had been shot in the head by Harmony herself. A lot of Echo personnel had to be treated in the field that day, and whoever had worked on Mel had at least done a first-class job. She had arrived at Echo Medical with strong vitals and a bullet-free wound, but had been unconscious for days. Chalk it up to meta-healing that she had pulled through. Her rehab had proved remarkable, with no visible problems with motor control, memory, or cognition. She was far from recovered, though. Whatever that bullet had done, whatever tissue it had burrowed into— it had cost her her talent. Mel could no longer summon her illusions. She's coping, Vicky said. As far as Einhorn can tell, she's putting up a brave front, I'll say that much. She's lost something vital, Red. It's got to be killing her, not to be what she once was. Well, Red sighed and patted her hand. It's a good thing you're here, then. Might do her some good to talk to someone who's been through that. She shuddered. That was something she never wanted to experience ever again. But Red was right. 
if there was anyone around who understood how it felt to lose an intangible part of yourself, to be walking wounded when the wound didn't show, it was her. Yeah, I can do that, she said. Red patted her hand again, and they watched as Mel continued to climb up to them. She moved with confidence. Vicky wondered if it was all for show. The girl had just recovered from a gunshot wound to the head, after all. One might have expected some signs of hesitation, even doubt, but Mel took each handhold and lift with ease. If she was in any way unsure of herself, she was hiding it well. As Mel crested the top, she hopped up to sit next to Red, and favored them both with a grin. And they thought I should take things easy for a while, she scoffed. It's not like I got shot in some place that counted, share only my head. Caught off guard by the unexpected joke, Vicky laughed uneasily. I guess that could be said of a lot of us, she said awkwardly. Mel blew a raspberry. <laughs> Don't go there. Last thing we need is to lose that pretty little brain of yours. Her lips curled as she glanced at the genie. This one's another story. Don't know how much is rattling around upstairs, but I bet a bullet wouldn't hurt at none. Be a shame if he took one in the rump, though, and damage that fine property. You're too kind, Red said dryly. So they've cleared you for duty? Clean bill and all that? Clean as a whistle, Mel said, and flashed him a demure smile. But I might let you confirm their assessment if you play your cards right. Vicky fought down a pang of jealousy as Red's eyes lit up with surprise and interest. He recovered with a shrug and a flip comment on being years from proper medical accreditation, but she could feel the sudden heat between these two. You're right. What are you jealous of? It's not as if he's ever going to look at you the way he looks at any normal woman. Her thoughts trailed off as a soft bell sounded off in her ear from Magic 8-Ball, part of her Overwatch suite back at the apartment. 8-Ball was a prognostication program. She'd started it to try and ID who was responsible for any given incident, but as with all things that were part magic and part tech, it had started taking on a life of its own. She was beginning to suspect it was... Well, it was getting about as sentient as a parrot and as eager to please as a puppy, which meant it was trying to predict the future. And right now it was giving her tentative pings in her ear, like a kid tugging on mom's pant leg. Not exactly alarms, but... Well, foretelling the future was always a crapshoot. No reason to think 8-Ball was any better at it than the average TV psychic, at least not yet. She ignored it. There was still half the course to finish. Hey, people, we're holding up traffic, she said, and swung herself over to the other side to start her way back down. There, Unter, and Upir, CCCP. I am remembering time in Stalingrad, Bear was saying, as Upir finished reloading her rifle. She hadn't had much more success with the last several shots, but she was beginning to suspect that was due as much, or more, to Soviet Bear's non-stop chatter as it was to her own faulty aim. It didn't help that he was hitting her target as much as his own, looking over his shoulder to chat with Untermensch, talking and shooting in equal amounts. That she's lower yards away. We are having no food for a week and a half, no vodka for two days. Truly dark times. Let me tell you. So, Yuri was having bright idea. If you are not shutting ever-flapping mouth, Untermensch interrupted, and paused, then got a sly look on his face. 
if you are not shutting mouth, I am to be cutting off Waffle House privileges. The bear's normally stolid expression was transmuted into one of sheer horror. Goupier was fascinated. It appeared that Georgie had finally found a chink in the bear's armor. She wondered what on earth it was that Bear wanted at the Waffle House. It couldn't possibly be the food, though she couldn't rule it out. The man had an iron stomach, almost literally, and seemed to subsist on a regular diet of rotgut vodka, people's choice, and canned pasta. Whatever it was, Bear not only shot up, but finally shouldered his own weapon and began taking methodical shots at his target. To Upir's chagrin, they were all either in or very near the bullseye. Lin, she muttered, and raised her own weapon. What in the name of Marx am I doing wrong? Perhaps you just need the right motivation, as Bert does, Untermensch said, smirking. And his is? Her name is Paula, Georgie said. Waitress at the Waffle House. She is sturdy. Aha, Upir thought. Not armor, a chink in the bear's amour. Ramona, CCCP. Near as Ramona could tell, the only difference between the paperwork that CCCP had to fill out and the paperwork Echo had to do for the feds was that the CCCP required two more copies. Other than that, it was pretty much the same tedious stuff in the same excruciating detail. She was beginning to wonder about Chug, however. The rock man had always seemed gentle and childlike around her, but some of the after-action reports showed an entirely different side to him. Situations involving hostages or direct threats to members of the CCCP seemed to cause the man to become aggressive and unpredictable, with more than the usual number of cars being thrown. One report signed by Soviet had described not one but three separate trailers hurled at Blacksnake operatives who had tried to detain them during an afternoon stroll through the destruction corridor. Although Ramona could envision some of that behavior, she couldn't believe the level of rage that Soviet had detailed. The man fed squirrels and called them names like Peter and Mishka. He wasn't the monster that some reports described. Victrix Echo Parkour Course The pings were getting persistent. Either there was something wrong with the 8-ball program, or 8-ball really needed to be attended to. In either case... Overwatch, open, private, Red Genie, she said. Red, my computer suite is being obnoxious, and I need to know why. Give me a minute. She didn't wait to hear his answer. This could be done on her PDA. 8-ball was a very simplistic little fellow. She unrolled her Bluetooth keyboard on one leg, opened the screen on her PDA, and strapped it to her arm, and logged in from the top of the bar climb. All right, you little bastard, she muttered. Now what do you want? She had forgotten that her channel to Red was still open. I'll have you know my parents were married, Vix, came the snarky reply. Before she could manage a snappy retort, Eightball was happily telling her why it was tugging on her pants leg. Oh... Hell no, she said aloud, and brought up her own HUD. Overwatch, open, battlefield overlay, center, current position, max fifty miles, she snapped out, and felt her heart stop. Overwatch, priority one alert, she screamed. 
John Murdoch, CCCP. The carburetor was now completely disassembled and ready for cleaning. The float bowl, the jets, the outer cover, the screws, the O-rings, and gaskets had all been taken off. Now it was time to scrub the rotten thing down. Another exciting day in the service of the people of Atlanta. If this and playing cops and robbers was all he was going to be doing, maybe he ought to check out Echo instead. From his journal, he knew that they had tried to recruit him at one point. Things hadn't turned out so well on that front. Were there any alternatives to Echo and CCCP? His train of thought was interrupted when he heard that little blonde gal, Vicky, over the comms. Overwatch! Priority one alert! An instant later, loud klaxons started blaring in the base, red warning lights accompanying them. John dropped the carburetor to the floor with a clank. There's only one thing that alarm is supposed to mean. It's a goddamned attack. John zipped up his issue coveralls and started sprinting toward the stairwell. They had drilled for this a number of times. Natalia had a penchant for surprise inspections and drills at odd hours. It was one bit of routine that he could truly appreciate. You could never be too ready for when the manure hit the fan. On the wall was a weapons locker. There was at least one in most rooms of the base. He stopped briefly, removing an AK-74M and as many mags as he could stuff into his pockets. Depending on the threat, he'd primarily be using his powers, but a good rifle is always nice to have in a fight. Murdoch, he heard in his ear. Vix again. I'm activating your HUD. We have death spheres coming in from the 50-mile marker and closing. You're going to be frontline for CCCP, just like the drill. If the RPGs don't break on contact, you torch what they were supposed to hit. John's HUD hit up like a Christmas tree. Copy. I'm on my way to the roof. You're being paired with Rusalka. She'll be busting one or more hydrants and directing the water. You two figure it out from there. I'll have my hands full here, and I'm handing CCCP off to Gamma Yoon. Don't yell for me unless you have no other choice. I'm putting out an all points, and we aren't the only targets being hit. All John could think of was the footage he had seen of the initial invasion. The death spheres, the ranks of power-armor-clad troopers, and how they had shrunk off every attack. Well, almost every attack. Whatever sort of energy field they produced that made their armor nigh invincible, it was weakened by fire. Heating up the suits made them vulnerable, even to small arms fire if it was concentrated at the right points. Time to earn my pay. He heard more people running up the stairs behind him. He chanced a look over his shoulder. Rosalka, like Vic had said, along with the local gal Mamona and a meta wearing an Echo uniform and black wings. Everyone was holding a rifle. Mamona and Rosalka each also had one of the new RPG systems slung over their shoulders, and the Echo meta loaded down with ammo for them. After a few more flights of stairs, John burst through the door to the roof, followed by the others. Rosalka, he barked to the Russian. You're on the northwest corner with me. She nodded, then trotted over to her position, cocking her rifle as she went. John turned to the other pair. Mamoni, you're going to be on the southeast corner working as a rocket team with... John looked at the winged meta. Call sign Corby. I was on a walkabout in the old neighborhood when Vic shunted me over. Handshakes and introductions later. You're going to be covering Mamona and making sure her RPG keeps getting fed. You got it? John started grabbing some of the ammo carriers from Corby's arms. Rusalka would need them. Corby set his jaw, then nodded. Rajo, let's burn some metal. Get to it, people, just like the drills. Keep an eye out for our people on the ground. Remember, anything worth shooting once is worth shooting three or four times. Corby and Mamona had both already started toward their positions. 
John moved to get ready next to Rasalka. She had the ability for water manipulation. Any fires that he started, she was there to put out if they got out of control. It just wouldn't do to take out the Kriegers, only to have half of Atlanta burned down. Again. John made a final check to ensure that everyone was locked and loaded, and knew their responsibilities. They were spread thin at the moment, and the action would be happening before anyone on patrol was able to make it back. They had two things going for them. The strange, alien-looking woman called Gamayun and her ability to see things with almost perfect clarity through remote viewing, and Vix with her frighteningly prescient overwatch system. Those hadn't existed on the day of the invasion, and they just might turn the tide today. Seraphim Airborne The Seraphim found the microphone, earpiece, and camera mildly irritating, but at least they were a substitute. A poor one, but a substitute nonetheless, for the senses she was now missing. When the earpiece screeched at her, she knew better than to pluck it out and throw it to the ground. Instead, she sorted through all of the confused shouting, as once she had sorted through the futures, until she heard the voice of the cult brother who was looking at the right screen at the right time. From that she knew the direction from which the spheres heading for CCCP were coming. She arrowed upwards, knowing that she could no longer outfly the spheres, and was no longer able to heal so fast she was figuratively invulnerable to their weapons. She would have to rely on fire and agility. She was at Falconheit, when she spotted the spheres moving towards the CCCP HQ at a terrifying speed. She waited until they were just under her, called fires, and went into the classic peregrine dive, beating her wings until she had gotten all the speed she could get from them, then folding them and turning herself into a projectile, yielding to gravity's embrace. She caught up with the spheres just before they reached CCCP HQ. They, in their turn, must have seen her coming, and at least that pair of pilots was aware of what she had done to the Thulians in the past, and what her old powers had been. Instead of firing on the HQ, they unloaded their troops and sped away, with her in a full-tailed chase, streaming flames. Bulwark and Bella Echo Training Course Overwatch! Vicky shouted over all channels. Priority one alert! Alarms were lighting up everyone's Overwatch rigs. For those with implants, this meant a flashing red alert light in the upper right of your field of vision, and a single piercing klaxon before the channel cleared for human chatter and the HUD lit up. What is it, Victrix? Bull demanded. What are you? He stopped as he heard. It was a hum, but not like the background vibration of, saying, an air-conditioned unit. This was a deep thrum that rattled your heart all the way inside your chest and gave you a sickening feeling in the pit of your stomach, a hum that you felt in every cell of your body. And if you were bulwark with half of your skeleton made of metal, it vibrated every bit of you to an unnerving extent. And more. He had felt this before. Never mind, he sighed, and turned to Bella. Make the call. Incoming! Bella screamed, her voice amplified from long-ago operatic training. The recruits on the field, who did not yet have their overwatch rigs, came to a surprised halt. Her cry startled some of them on the net trap, who tripped and collided with each other and came to a tangled sprawl on the ground. Others dropped from place around the scaling wall, while more paused during their race through a scaled-down, one-story parkour course. Echo personnel, meta and non-meta alike, had been moving about the training field running courses, exercising or just socializing. They all stopped and turned to her to see three enormous death spheres rise above the canopy of the neighboring park and dozens of armored Kriegers emerge from the tree line. 
treat! Bella screamed again, then using her Overwatch mic. Overwatch broadcast all! Battle stations! Overwatch open Mark 1 control! Boys, I'm online! Do your stuff and root me command! There was a moment, just a moment, of surprise and fear, and then Bella watched her people scramble for the main campus. She bolted after them, and heard Bulwark following her at a steady trot, the faint shimmer of his shield guarding them both. The field erupted around them with explosions, with sudden craters and scorched earth as the Kriegers began to lay down heavy fire with their energy cannons, and something new. Artillery! Bull shouted, grunting as a shell reflected off his shield, bouncing up and exploding above them. And RPGs! Bella shouted back, her hands flying up to cover her head as the ground erupted around her. We need to get to the main campus! Agreed. Bull rumbled, and hissed as he risked a glance back. Bella! To me! What? She cried, and turned as he barreled into her and scooped her up in both arms. Eep! She yelped as he launched himself up, his shield intensifying around them. Behind them, another artillery round crashed into the ground, and the blast suddenly hurled them forward. Bella felt Bull's arms tighten around her as she instinctively curled up, ducked her head down, and tried as best she could to replicate Harmony's ability to feed him energy. She felt like throwing up, and disoriented, she didn't realize why until she opened her eyes. They were... bouncing. Like a ground serve on a tennis ball, they were bouncing along the turf with way more forward momentum than height, his kinetic shield keeping them aloft. She caught a glimpse of some of her operatives sprinting for the main gate, their eyes wide as she and Bull flew past them. If she wasn't so terrified, she might have laughed. She closed her eyes again. This was certainly an e-ticket ride, but not one she would have willingly gotten on. Did you know you could do this? she gasped. I had an inkling, Bull replied. But I never thought to put it into practice. Why the hell not? I'm still working out how to stop. Oh. She opened her eyes and stared up at him. It was times like this when she wished she could read him. Was he joking or what? His eyes were narrowed in concentration, and she could feel all his muscles tensing. Oh, probably not joking. All the one-liners about how it's not the fall that gets you, it's the sudden stop, no longer seemed so funny. She glanced up and saw that they were hurtling towards the front gate of the main campus. You, uh, might want to work that out fast. My stop's coming up. I think I've got something, he muttered. Good plan? Stupid plan. Only plan? Only plan. Go limp. Get ready to roll. Her eyes went wide, but she obeyed, knowing he would feel her relax, and yelped as she felt the shield begin to catch on the ground, slowing them down but sending them into a violent spin. She risked a glance at Bull, who grimaced in concentration. She caught a glimpse of his shield, its odd translucent sheen usually uniform throughout, become patchy and even ragged in places. What are you doing? she demanded. New trick he gasped, his usual rumble now a bit forced and stuttering. Haven't practiced much. Think of this as a field test. Field test? Are you insane? She demanded. No, he grunted. Just out of options. 
They collided with the gate, and Bella felt the wind knocked out of her as they were hurled back. She barely registered the shield fading away, but reacted instantly as she felt Bull's arms fall from her. She hit the ground in a near-perfect martial arts shoulder roll, relaxed but controlled, or as controlled as you could get under circumstances like this. But she knew she had too much momentum to get to her feet, so she kept rolling until enough speed had gotten scrubbed off to stop. She slapped the ground hard to finish the roll, leapt to her feet, struggled to regain her breath, and then glanced up to see Bull laying sprawled on the ground just a few feet from her. He wasn't moving. With a cry, she scrambled over to him. The big, overly protective oaf had shielded her from most of the impact with his own body. Of all the... Bull! she cried and laid her hands on him. He was still breathing, but she could sense torn muscles pretty much from neck to toes. At least his reinforced skeleton had kept his bones intact, but a quick scan confirmed a concussion. His poor brain had just taken a big hit. I could sure use a jolt of angel juice about now, she thought grimly, took a deep breath, plunged into the healing gestalt, and hit him with the equivalent of... Oh, whoa. She had been the equivalent of 220 volts days ago when the seraphim had been an angel. Now she was 440. Not seraphic strength, but certainly industrial strength. It was kind of euphoric. She resisted the impulse to shout, Be healed! It took about a minute, because with power came speed, and she was already working with the benefit that he was a meta with a fast healing factor. She began with his head, swelling that had started reversed. Damaged cells knitted. She felt the healing waves pulse out through his body like soothing tides. Sixty timeless seconds, more or less, and all the damage was reversed. Mother of Pearl! And as she opened her eyes, she realized something else. She was... A little winded, but not drained. A shot of glucose would be good right now, but not something she had to suck down like a starving vampire. A movement caught her attention, and she cradled his head as he opened his eyes. Stupid plan, he whispered. Stupid plan, she agreed, then laughed as she held him tight. Don't ever do that without me, you moron. Can you get up? I'll be fine he assured her, rising slowly to survey their surroundings. Echo personnel from the training field were beginning to catch up with them, while others from within the compound had begun to take their stations both behind and in front of the gate. Showtime, leader lady. I say you've got about five minutes before they get here. Time to be the boss of the outfit. Overwatch, open Mark One Control. Sam, Dean, rally at the front gate. Deploy the Quartermaster Corps. Keep the sensors watching for reinforcements. Until Vix gets to her suite, you're running one and two. Overwatch broadcast all. ETA five minutes. Bring up blast shields. Standard positions and rally point front gate. Take cover priority cover for civvies. At the command, Sam and Dean Colt activated the blast walls that rose up from the ground, along with half a dozen jeeps with mounted MK-19 grenade launchers. She glanced back to confirm that the Q Corps was on the way with the shoulder-mounted launchers. She couldn't make the vehicles run any faster by staring at them, so she turned her attention back to where it would do the most good, the people at the walls. As she took her position next to Bulwark behind one of the central blast walls, she noted a civilian dressed in a bright red jogging outfit cringing next to them. He sat with his back to the wall, his knees brought up tightly to his chest. He was hyperventilating. Breathe deeply, sir, she said, risking a look around the wall. She saw the tops of the Death Spheres growing over the horizon, and heard the steady march of the Krieger troops in the distance. 
Her HUD confirmed all of it. Don't worry, we'll get through this. The man struggled to answer, his words catching on his ragged breathing. Sir! Bella dropped to one knee and laid a hand on his shoulder. Deep breaths. That's right. Nice and slow. The man nodded frantically, and his breathing slowed and deepened. What's your name? she asked. B -b -b Bob, he answered. Bob McIntyre. Hell of a morning for a jog, huh, Bob? My usual route, he gasped. Figured Echo Campus would be... would be... His voice trailed off. Safe? Bella offered. Y yeah. We're going to get through this, Bob, she repeated, and offered him a smile. How do you know? he asked. Do you have a plan? Yes, Bella nodded. Let us handle this. It's going to be a bit hairy at first, but we've got this, okay? The Q Corps had arrived and were distributing the RPG launchers and ammo. What are you going to do? Well, Bob, Bella said, and let a soothing pulse of calm radiate out from her hand. For starters, we're going to let them come in a bit closer. The pulse wasn't quite enough. Are you insane? Bob demanded. Bella stared at him for a moment. She chuckled. She couldn't help it. And soon, she was chortling in helpless gales of laughter. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.